Well, good morning, Harvest. How are we this morning? I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for a worship team that week after week after week helps us to lift high the name of Jesus. Can we just thank them this morning? What an awesome time of worship so far this morning. Well, it's great to be with you today. Thank you so much for being here. um, Before we get ready to dive into God's Word, we're going to have some ushers that are coming down the aisles. If you'd like a Bible to use this morning and you didn't come with one, go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers will make sure that you get one. If you don't own a Bible, um, feel free to take that home with you. That is just our gift to you today. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. My wife, Jennifer, and I have been part of Harvest for about the last two years. Um, In November, it will be two years that I've had the opportunity to be here on staff at Harvest. And I just want to say thank you to all of you as I look through this room here this morning. A lot of familiar faces of people that we've gotten to know over the last two years. And it has been a gift to our lives to be able to engage in this community with many of you. And so I just want to take a minute this morning to just say thank you for welcoming us, for encouraging us, for just uh, bringing us in to your family. It's been a true blessing for us to be part of this family. Uh, We're in our third week in our Proverbs series where we have been comparing and contrasting the path of foolishness and the path of wisdom. And so I want to, if you'd like to just get a head start, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. But we're in our third week in our Proverbs series, and one of the things that's becoming quite evident is that the point of Proverbs is to get us to listen to wisdom, to help us receive it into our lives and to let it change us. Proverbs also makes it quite clear what life will look like if we choose not to listen to wisdom. So we're going to take some time this morning and dig into the book of Proverbs, but I want to give you a little spoiler alert on the front end. We're going, to, we're going to end this morning in the book of James, and I just want to start out by reading a couple verses in the book of James, chapter 1, starting at verse 19, as we sort of get ready to take this journey this morning. James 1, 19 and 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So apparently, the anger of man and the way that God wants us to live, those two things don't mesh well at all. And one of the themes in Proverbs that stretches all the way through the book has to do with this attitude of anger and hot-headedness. And that's what I want us to journey through this morning you know, as I, was, as I was preparing this, it became quite clear to me early on that God knew that I needed to be reminded of some things and needed to work on some things as it relates to my own relationship with anger. I was talking to another staff person recently about this topic of anger and that I was um, getting ready to be with you this weekend and to teach on this topic. And the staff person looked at me and they said, I don't see you as an angry person at all. And honestly, It's actually rare that I would display anger outwardly, but that doesn't mean that I don't experience that anger inwardly. There's a a verse in the book of 1 Samuel that says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So it's not just what comes out of us that matters, it's what's going on inside of us that matters as well, and God sees all of it. You know, I was thinking about options that we have when it comes to anger or being hot-headed 
And I was thinking, you know, instead of controlling our anger, we could just decide to be angry, right? I mean, I don't actually think that would be all that hard. We'd just let it flow to be angry, right? I mean, pretty easy to do that because we were all born with the capacity for anger. Those of us who have kids, we didn't have to teach our children how to be angry, did we? In fact, we actually had to teach our children how not to be angry. The problem is that there's a lot of collateral damage when you live in anger. It impacts your friends, it impacts your relationships, your family, your work. Eventually it seeps into every area of life. But there are still some people who decide to just live angry lives. But I actually think those people that decide to just live angry, there are actually some things that could upset your upset if you're just an angry person. Things like blue skies, babies, gifts, good friends, good coffee, flowers, all great reasons not to be angry. I think just being around the bright side of things, like being around positive people, people who tend to just assume the best, actually make it hard to be angry. That's what I want. I don't want to live an angry life. And I think God has called us to something so much better. God wants us to experience peace, his presence in our lives. Now you might be thinking, how do I experience peace in such an angry world? As a dad, I can remember times where we would use the term meltdown when it came to our kids, right? Those of you who have had young children or have young kids, I think we all kind of know what this is like when our kids have a meltdown. This meltdown metaphor, it's like a nuclear power plant. There's this chain reaction that starts and then something happens and things get out of control. They get out of containment. There's this, this meltdown that starts to happen and it starts to eat away the whole earth. Anger feels like this when it's unleashed in our souls. And our kids will usually do this much quickly than we will as adults. I don't remember the context of this. I don't remember how I ended up with this. I was probably in third grade at the time. And somehow I received a kite as a gift. Apparently, I don't know if it was my mom or dad or my grandparents, but somebody gifted me a kite. I must have had some interest in this kite. I don't think I had ever flown a kite up until that point. I probably had seen kites being flown and made a comment. Maybe I had a meltdown about it at some point. I'm not really sure. But somehow I got this kite. <clears throat> and so my dad and I, we put this kite together. And we decided one afternoon we were going to go outside and we were going to fly this kite. So we assembled the kite, we attached the string to the kite, we went outside, the wind was perfect, the sun was shining, my dad's behind me, just the two bros, right? We're just having this moment outside, this wonderful, unforgettable experience flying this kite with my hero, my dad, standing behind me. He's helping me make sure that I don't lose control of the spool, that the string's on, the kite's way out there. We're having this fantastic time together. And my little sister, walks out of the front door of the house into the front yard and says this, hey daddy, can I fly the kite? To which I was like, no, you can't fly the kite, it's my kite. <laughs> and the words that I heard come out of my dad's mouth surprised me 
because he said this to my little sister. Sure, Puka, because that's what he called my little sister, Puka. Sure, Puka, you can fly the kite. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. Probably the right decision would have been welcoming my sister into this great moment that I was having with my dad, to be generous, to be selfless, and to share my kite with my sister. Oh, no. Not the decision that I made in that moment. In fact, I was going to let the world know how wrong it was that my sister was about to take this kite away from me, that my dad had the audacity to interrupt this moment that I was having with him, and I had a meltdown. And I don't even know why she was outside, but my mom happened to be outside. This was before the digital age. And my mom snapped a picture of me melting down that has haunted me my entire life. Okay, this was before you whipped out your cell phone and took a quick picture. Like, she must have been outside with a camera. Like, she paid money to have this picture developed. And this picture ended up in my photo album, my, like, my childhood photo album. You know what my mom put together for us? This picture's in my childhood photo album. Anger run wild, emotions on display. As adults, we do a better job at hiding this. Don't we? Not displaying what's really going on in our own hearts. But it's the same spirit in us adults as it is in the kids. This is why it's not hard to get angry. God's word says a lot about this topic for angry people and for people who wish they weren't so angry. There is a better way to live and a way to control your emotions. Harvest family, look at me for just a second. Every single one of us, we all have our own complicated relationship with anger. Every one of us. We all know the feeling of tension. I mean, I think I feel more powerful if I get angry. In the book of Proverbs, we're going to discover that it's actually a sign of weakness. So what does help us in those moments of tension to not be angry? I mean, it does help to think about things that cheer you up, doesn't it? And they just give you a more positive perspective, a sunny day, a good talk with a friend, maybe a long walk. Let's try this this morning. I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them this question. What kinds of things help to cheer you up? Turn to your neighbor and ask them that question. What kinds of things help to cheer you up? Okay, so here's something really fun from my vantage point in the room. Almost everyone in the room currently is smiling or laughing, which kind of shows you you can pick your attitude, and there is a decision that we can make. So here's the big idea that I want to introduce to you this morning. You choose your attitude. You choose your attitude. I really believe that, and I think that our journey through Proverbs today is going to bear that out in this particular area of attitude that we would call anger. The first question that we need to dig into this morning, though, is why do I get angry? Why do I get angry? 
some things that we need to know about anger. Maintaining anger requires self-focus, demanding your way, your rights, your wishes, and your expectations. Anger is always pointing at you and when something doesn't go the way that you want it to go. That's why we get angry. You had an expectation that wasn't met, and because of that, you got angry. I want to trace back what an angry outburst begins with this morning, why it happens so that when we look at what the Bible says, what we should do, we can put it into a grid and understand what our action steps should be. So just a a filter for us to understand why do we have angry outbursts. So think of a time when you got really angry. Maybe this is maybe dangerous to do in church. Think of a time when you got really angry, where you blew your top, you flew off the handle, had a meltdown, whatever metaphor it is that you want to use, but you got really angry and you let your anger be known. That outburst was generated by something, wasn't it? Where did it come from? Well, you had a reaction choice to let your anger be displayed. I mean, you could have made the decision to just let it go, to let it roll off your backs, to maybe ask some questions for clarity. Tell me more. I want to learn more about what it is that you're sharing with me. We could have, all of those options were on the table. But you made the decision to lash out, to display your anger. Why? Well, because an expectation wasn't met. I started to experience some of this over the course of the last year and noticed it sort of in my own spirit, and it was starting to cause me to have a check in my spirit. Jennifer and I, we live in Holland, and so we make the drive, I make the drive to either Spring Lake or Grand Haven uh, quite a few times a week. In fact, I would say it's very normal for me to make this drive back and forth from Spring Lake or Grand Haven to Holland probably six or seven times a week. I think my record is three round trips in one day so far. But what I've grown to know about this drive is I know exactly how many miles it is, I know exactly how long it's going to take me, and I know exactly the route that I'm going to take to get here. Like all those decisions I have made ahead of time. And what I was experiencing is when somebody wasn't driving the way that I wanted to drive, so I will pretty much always drive a little bit faster than the speed limit, probably at least five miles an hour over the speed limit, and when I, would, when I would come across someone that wasn't driving the way that I wanted them to drive, I was becoming tense and irritable and angry on the inside. And I was kind of wondering to myself, why do these people not know how to drive? <laughs> and it started to look like this. I'm driving my car, and I literally would kind of cock my head to the side to try to figure out there must be something in front of this person in front of me that's causing them not to drive the way that I want them to drive. And I would say something like this, what is going on? And that was my expression of anger and frustration in, the, in that moment. And then I can remember one day, I have a, we have two children. Um, my 23-year-old daughter was with me in the car. I picked her up from work, I think it was on a Monday, And I picked her up from work, and we were going to just go have lunch. And it happened again. Like someone in front of me wasn't driving the way that I wanted them to drive. And I I leaned over, and I was like, what is going on? Not expecting the response that I got from my daughter. Because, of course, my 23-year-old daughter is going to be way more impatient than I am. I mean, I'm 52 years old. I mean, I'm I'm way more patient than my 23-year-old daughter. 
And the thing that came out of her mouth when I knew it was a problem was this. She said, what's the rush, Pops? And in that moment, I was like, oh my goodness, I got a problem here. I'm getting upset about things that should not be making me upset. The issue wasn't that we were in a rush. We weren't running late. We weren't pressed for time. The issue for me was that it was not going the way that I expected it to go, and I was getting angry about it. That unmet expectation comes from somewhere. It comes from expected control. I thought I was in charge of how fast I was going to drive. I thought I was in charge of the exact time that I was going to get to my destination. I thought that I could get my way the way that I planned And when I start to lose control of the situation, I become frustrated. That expected control, it comes from pride. Pride is when I think I'm in charge. Pride allows me to hold on to something and say, this is mine. And as soon as this doesn't happen, in that moment, I have to choose how I'm going to respond. Pride is the root of angry outbursts. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about anger this morning. Again, the book of Proverbs is a collective sayings of the wise. This is going to help us answer the next question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. Where does anger lead? Where does it lead? And what we're going to find out through the book of Proverbs is that anger leads to foolishness. It simply leads to foolishness. Some verses related to this topic. Proverbs 14.29 says this. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So is the reaction controllable? It's like that big nuclear meltdown. It is controllable. It can be contained. Temper shows great weakness. A temper is when things are out of control and you're not strong enough to hold it in and manage it properly. So this is where it gets tricky. Anger dupes you into thinking that you're projecting power when you're angry, but you're actually projecting weakness. Proverbs 14, 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Anger feels like power, but it gets no respect. The two things that anger wants, it wants respect and it wants control. And when one of those two things aren't happening, anger is trying to get those back. And we think, if I just get angry enough, they'll hear me, they will fix this, they'll do what I want them to do, they will change. It actually reduces your control and the respect other people would have for you. Anger takes you in the opposite direction we think it will. So I want to go back to this driving illustration a little bit that I just shared with you. As crazy as this is. One of the things that helps me not outwardly express my anger while I'm driving, can you guess what it is? It's that crazy little sticker on the back of my car that has the vertical logo on it. (laughs) That sticker represents something bigger than just me. It represents something. And when we are representing Jesus, we are supposed to act Differently Now, some of you may be thinking, that's exactly why I don't have the sticker on my car, okay? After the service, go to the welcome desk and get a sticker for your car. 
and act differently when you drive. People don't listen to anger. Anger is a very ineffective means of getting what you want. Even if control was possible, anger's not going to give it to you. And if there's anything to respect about you, it isn't that you get angry. It would be the ability to control yourself. That would be respectable. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Fools don't learn because they can't listen. You might think, I really want to help this individual, but until they're ready to listen, they just won't learn. Again, think of a time when you lost your cool, when you blew up at someone or something, and after you had settled down a bit and cooled off, have you ever thought something like this? Man, that was really stupid of me. I acted like such an idiot in that moment. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. I think most of us have been there. Do you know why you felt that way? Because you were actually acting stupid and you were acting like an idiot. When you're acting stupid or like an idiot, you cannot act wise. That's what this verse is saying. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So you might have all these great exploits in your life, all this talent, all this ability. You might actually have the tactical expertise to conquer a city. And all of that is well and good, but most impressive at all, of all, can you control yourself? Proverbs 12, 15, and 16, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. It's one thing to have a frustrating situation happen. It's entirely another thing to have someone actively insulting you and still be able to stay calm. It isn't easy, but it's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus told us to do. So we say, Lord, we're going to need your help. Proverbs 29, 22 says, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. I think we all know this from sad personal experience. Anger really is a gateway to all other types of problems. Marriage problems, work problems, interpersonal problems, problem after problem after problem after problem. Proverbs 19, 3. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So you have this big meltdown, you make all these foolish decisions, and you look around at your radioactive life, and you say something like this, God, why did you give me this life? I don't know how God would react to that. Probably with some laughter and with some tears. So Proverbs warns us to stay away from anger. But you might be saying, that doesn't help me if I'm the one who's actually angry. So here's some good news. There is a different way. Jesus died for you to live a different way. So how do we walk in that direction? It brings us to our third question. What's the way out? Here's where we start getting a path forward, where we, where we find hope. What's the way out? Why, if your life is not as peaceful as you wish it was, the place where you can start growing peace is not by fixing your circumstances. It's actually by changing your heart. And there is a way to do this. 
And there really is hope that you can wake up tomorrow and your circumstances haven't changed, but your attitude can be a lot different. <clears throat> Do you remember what the foundation of wisdom is? Where does wisdom begin? It begins when you fear God. When you have a right view of God, your perspective is different. So upgrade your view of God and watch your attitude change. Now you look up to God and you realize who's actually in charge. Is it me or is it him? Well, if I have a right view of God, he's the one that's in charge. And if God is in charge, then my primary emotion would be one of gratefulness and surrender and trust versus trying to take the reins and control my own life and its outcomes. That's the path of wisdom. So upgrade your view of God. That leads us to the next step, predetermine your reactions. So plan ahead to stay calm. You know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this, this part of the message and predetermining your reactions. Um, one of the things that I do when I'm not working at church and I have some free time <clears throat> is I'm a reserve police officer. And so we have training every month. And from time to time, we'll show up for training and, and we'll be told we're doing reaction drills tonight. <clears throat> and after I catch my breath for just a minute and learn that we're doing reaction drills, what reaction drills are is that you, they bring you into a room and maybe you and one other police officer, and they have people there who are role players and they drop you into this situation or this environment and they basically just say, go. You don't know what the situation is. You don't know what's gonna happen. You really don't know what to, ex well, you kinda know what to expect because normally what happens is it's gonna escalate very quickly and it's gonna go sideways really fast. And there are trainers there that are watching how you respond, how you act, what you do. And you get through the scenario. Um, by the way, it's, it's, um, it's, if it sounds super stressful, it is. You're not, you're not off if you feel that way. And you get through that reaction drill and the training sergeant will, will come over to you and they'll talk through, okay, what happened here? Why did you decide to do that? If you run into this situation again, here's something else to be thinking about. Here's something to watch for. Here's, how, here's a different way that you could respond to that, which would have allowed you then to do this. And so it's training under stress so that when we do come into a real life situation that we would have an appropriate reaction to a really stressful situation. How many of you think that you are gonna be pressed again? Okay, for many of us, we're gonna be pressed again today, maybe before we even leave this building. It will happen. So the question is, what am I planning to do in that moment? If I wait until that moment to make a decision while I'm under pressure, I will probably fail. But if I start from the point that I'm following Jesus in the way that I live, when those pressure points come, I'll be able to yield. I'll take a deep breath and say, okay, Lord, this is your life and I wanna do the best I can with your direction. So just like for the police stuff, how we train to react in certain situations and we do it over and over and over again so that if we actually find ourselves in that situation, we don't have to go, oh no, what do I do? Like we've been through it before and we've practiced it before. For us, when it comes to points of tension and anger, we're gonna have to remind ourselves of this often to predetermine our reactions. We're gonna have to evaluate when it does happen, when we find ourselves in a stressful situation and we do respond one way or another. 
what went well and what didn't go as well. The more that we do this with the Spirit's help, we also will have a more appropriate reaction when we find ourselves in a stressful situation. So turn back with me to the book of James. Many say that James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's filled with wise sayings. So let's let's review a little bit. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, the heading in my Bible says, listening and doing. This is going to be super helpful as we think about what predetermining my reactions looks like. In verse 19, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When I'm frustrated, I want to defend myself before the other person is done talking. I would be quick to cut you off and correct you before you are even finished. That's what being quick to speak looks like. God's word says that we need to slow down. We need to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Here's something that I I want to share with you as it relates to listening, Harvest Family. Listening is not waiting to talk. Listening is not waiting to talk. It's not formulating your response while the other person is still talking. That inner monologue that you're having a a full-on conversation with, That inner monologue is preventing you from actually being able to listen to that other person. God's word says that we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So a few thoughts on what it means when it says slow to anger. Because if you remember, some of the Proverbs that we just read a few moments ago actually referenced the same verbiage. It talked about being slow to anger. There's a verse in Ephesians Chapter 4 that says this, be angry and do not sin. So the ideal in the Bible, it's not never be angry, and it's also not blow your top angry. The Bible says, the ideal in the Bible is, is that we are slow to anger. It's also an attribute of God. Exodus 34, Moses is talking with God, and he, he says, God, show me your glory. And one of the things that Moses gets as a response is that God is slow to anger. Here's what I want you to know about slow to anger. Being slow to anger is defending and protecting that which you love. It's defending and protecting that which you love. It's actually part of what it means to love in its purest form. Um, let, me, let me play this out to you this way. The more a dad loves his son, the more he's angry at the drunkard, the addiction, the liar, the traitor, or whatever it is that may be in the son. Slow to anger is defending the son from that which threatens the son. It's love moved to deal with the threat to someone or something you love. That's what it means to be slow to anger. So let's get honest for just a minute here. If you look at the things in your heart that make you the most angry, I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I defending? When you look at the things in your heart that make you the most angry, 
What's the answer to this question? What am I defending that's making me so angry? The answer to that is what your heart loves the most. And if the answer to that question is you, that you are defending yourself, then you're still working really hard at controlling your own outcomes because it can't be about you. It has to be about God. So predetermine your reactions and then give up your inflated sense of control. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. Anger does not equal a righteous life. This passage says that that if you want to experience peace, you need to get rid of the evil in your life. Humbly accept what God's word says and then actually do what it says. Let the gospel inform your decisions. It's part of what came out of last week's message. So the question is, who do you trust more, you or God? Living in a way that demonstrates trust in God means that you give up your inflated sense of control. According to this passage, angry people forget what they look like. Unless, of course, your mom takes a picture of you and puts it in your childhood photo album. Okay? When I think about other people getting angry, I don't really think they know what they look like when they're angry. And truth be told, when I get angry, I don't think I really know what I look like. Somehow, anger blinds us to what is actually true about us. Now, something that is great news for those who don't have peace, who are stressed out, is that when you surrender, you're actually free. Circumstances and problems are still there, but when you give up your expected control, you don't have nearly as many unmet expectations, not as many anger triggers, because you're starting from a different premise. You're saying, I'm here to serve God with the life I have. I surrender to him, my decision-making control. And the more that we learn how to surrender, the more freedom we experience and the more joy we can experience as a result. So it's great news. And that leads us to number four. Ask God for grace to help. Is God on your team when it comes to all this? Does God want you to honor him with the way you live and respond with your life? Of course he does. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Church family, following Jesus is supposed to impact you and your soul. And if following Jesus doesn't change something about this area of our lives, then what does following Jesus even mean? I mean, when you come home from work and you're tired and maybe even a little stressed out, are you short with your family? Do people walk on eggshells around you? Are people scared of how you will respond when confronted? If your commitment to Jesus makes no difference when it comes to controlling your outbursts, you need to ask yourself this question, am I really even following Jesus at all? 
Keeping control isn't easy, but it's what Jesus has called us to do, and it's what the Holy Spirit and empowers us to do as well. God hasn't just given you a command to just live without anger and then left you high and dry. He's given you the power you need to walk a new life. It's called his grace. So you say, God, I need you. It requires humility, but when you do that, God will give you his grace to meet your need in that moment. If you use anger or those feelings of anger, when they're building as an actual reminder to pray for grace, the thing that's making you angry will suddenly change your perspective dramatically because you just redirected attention off of how you feel and onto God's plan. God, I'm here to represent you. I'm gonna need the grace in this moment to deal with what's happening. Jesus died to set us free from this mess the mess that we create with our pride and a whole variety of other sins that spring off of that. You say, Lord, I know you've made the power available. I need you right now to walk a different road. That's why I believe you can determine how your days will go. You can choose your attitude, not just by willpower to just say, I'm gonna feel better even if things are terrible, but you can look up to heaven and say, Lord, I'm gonna trust you and ask you for your help rather than trying to handle this on my own. God, you are in charge, I'll trust you. And on that basis, I wanna move forward representing you, not just responding to my emotions anymore. So as you look through the book of Proverbs, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes open for more on self-control and anger. There's a whole lot more in the book that we didn't touch today. We started with the big idea that you choose your attitude. We close today faced with a decision Will I choose the path of wisdom or will I choose the path of foolishness? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's your choice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we would be people who are known by our obedience to your word, that we would not just be hearers, but we would also be doers of the word. Father, help us to be the type of people who display a humility, who are willing to acknowledge our need for you, who are willing to embrace the power of the Spirit in our lives so that we can walk away in a way that honors you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just be challenged, to be encouraged, and to know that you give us everything we need to not live in such a way that dishonors you. Father, help us to be known by our willingness to obey. Help us to give you praise for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.